the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. This is Dive Deep. We dive deep into the Catholic faith, explore the many issues, the many people surrounding it. I'm Andrew Hansen. She is Amber Servany. He is Father Chris House. Amber, you are you were away from the studio while Father House and I were talking. He has a card. It's like a bring out the card. It's a uh, I am a priest card essentially. It's called a celebrate. A celebrate. What does that get you? <laughs> well, discounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically it's a card that we carry. It's used not so much in the United States because the United States we have letters of good standing that we send if we're going to go somewhere. Have you ever had to pull that out? It, yeah, in Rome. <laughs> were they like? Oh, they saw you in the collar. Like, no, are you legit, Father? Show us the card. Well, it, it's I, I was. It was oh five six years ago. <laughs> I when I was on the faculty at Mundelein Seminary, I was visiting Father Peter Harmon, who's now the rector of the. Pontifical North American College. He was just on the faculty then. I was over there for Holy Week, and we're doing the Chrism Mass with the Holy Father. And there's thousands of priests walking through, and they have like three ushers, and we all had to flash these as we walked by, <laughs> and all that. I feel like a lot in Rome. All you gotta do is just throw up something, and they're like, "Yeah, come on." Yeah, one on one, never asked for that, and they stopped me because the word celebrate was not on the card back then, but it's in English and Latin, <laughs> and Father Harmon. An Italian very much uh, took care of things. And, the editor, so. As chancellor, though, you signed your own card. Yeah, well, it's just a digital signature. Yeah, so that's probably not the That doesn't look that. suspect. Oh, well. <laughs> I would think you should get some discount. You know, you're like, see a like, hero. I mean, parking. they did in the Holy should, Land. You know, we we be... brought Father House with us in so that we could get discounts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in uh, today's episode, we are talking annulments, um, an interesting, hotly debated uh, topic in the Catholic Church. But the first thing I want to say, Father House, you're you're an expert in this because you are uh, I don't go that far. I don't know. Expert, <laughs> you're a canon lawyer, but you're yes. also on the tribunal. Did I even say that right? Yes, I'm a judge on the tribunal. I'm actually the vicar judicial, so I'm the head of the tribunal in place of the bishop. The first thing I want to say on this topic is we throw out the word annulments, mm-hmm. and that's actually incorrect. True. And you know, it's a, it's like we talk about praying to the saints. We don't pray to saints. We ask the saints to pray for us and to pray with us. Just the same, the church does not annul anything when it comes to marriage. The church grants or can grant a declaration of nullity saying that from the beginning, from the moment of consent, either due to defective consent or an impediment, that ma- the marriage did not happen. Describe the process. So if, if people are listening to the show for the first time and, and okay, so it's a, it's, you're making a, a marriage, how do you say it? Null? Am I even saying that well, correctly? Uh, yeah, or, a process I mean, to declare it null, to seek it. if it can be declared null. So, so what happens? So if, if, if a couple who is married um, and then wants to divorce, they come to the Catholic church and they go through this process. Well, what, what is this process? Well, basically it's, when unfortunately a marriage has ended in a divorce, so we say it's irretrievably broken. So it's the, there's no chance of reconciliation. So then a party or parties may approach the tribunal for a process of nullity to see if the marriage is null. And so that involves an investigation. So uh, the party will bring forth um, the request. We call it a labellus. So it's actually a document that impugns the marriage that that claims that it was not valid. And so the initial document has all the pertinent information, the names of the parties where the marriage took place, um, uh, children born of the union, um, witnesses that they would like to use in this process. So all this is brought forward. And so every marriage 
comes across my desk that's to be examined in the tribunal. A few times, if I happen to know the parties, I will recuse myself, and then Father Darren Zanley, who is the adjutant judicial vicar, will take over that for me. But so I review each case, decide whether or not to accept it. After it's accepted, the other party, the respondents, or the per- person who brings the petition, the libellus forward, is called the petitioner. And then the other party, the respondent, is notified. And, um, and so then on, once all that is done, then I set the grounds for how the case is to be investigated and tried. So once that is set, that goes then to there's a specific judge and those cases are all they're farmed out. They're signed out. One judge will basically usher the case to the process. There are two other judges who will be assigned. So in this diocese, we judge cases as a collegiate tribunal. So there are five judges, five priest judges in the diocese. Each case has three judges that sits on the panel. And so there's the one judge who we call the ponens, who kind of organizes everything and guides the case through. And the other two judges, because I'm judicial vicar, I'm called the praesis. So I'm the chief judge. And then there's always then an associate judge, the third judge. And so whoever's not the ponens, we, we get updates as the case goes along, witness testimony, other things. If there is an expert report, such as if it's a psychological ground, we are given that. And so we're able to ask the ponens any questions or if we see there's a problem or something like that. Um, so once all the evidence has been gathered and everything is done, um, the the ponens who's ushering the case through then has to decide, okay, is the case ready? Is, is it done? Once they make that judgment, it's given to a person called the defender of the bond. So we have our defender of the bond, uh, a laywoman. She's actually a consecrated virgin. She doesn't live in this diocese, but she serves as defender for multiple dioceses. So we'll send the case to her. She's a doctor of canon law, and she will argue for the bond. So um, like in the causes of saints, we used to have the position we call the devil's advocate. So she is the counter argument. So she's going to argue why this bond should be seen as being valid. And so she's going to review the acts and all that. And then she will give us her opinion. Once we receive her opinion, then the case goes to judgment. And so the tribunal gathers, we convene once a month and we have the cases beforehand and we come with our opinions already written. We call our, our vota. So and that's typed up with the reasons why, whether or not we vote affirmative or negative. So affirmative to, yes, the marriage should be declared null, or negative, the marriage should be considered valid. Now, marriage always enjoys the benefit of the law in canon law. So a marriage is presumed valid unless proven otherwise. So we have to achieve moral certitude for the judge to overturn that presumption of validity. So are, are most cases, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to give you a percentage, but in your, in your history, do you, you, have you found most cases are declared null or it? Yeah. Um, you know, and every tribunal is different. Um, but I'd say it, we give a majority. Yes. And I, and that's, as time goes on, I'm sorry to say that I think that's going to continue to be the trend because the church's understanding of marriage as a divine institution, as a natural institution, society has taught something contrary to that, and that divide keeps growing. 
So people are coming into marriages with ideas that are contrary to what marriage truly is. And so there's going to be definitely many marriages will be challenged. They may be difficult, but there are many that we would say that from the beginning, just they were null. We're not saying that there wasn't a ceremony, that something didn't happen, that people didn't try, but and it's one thing in the, in the whole process of nullity where it's not looking to point a finger. We're not saying it was your fault or it was your fault. It's just basically the tribunal wants to find out what happened. What happened that did not allow this to take place as a marriage in the divine and the natural sense? So is it like this canon law says, here's like 10 things that would make a marriage null. And then you go look for those 10 things in the evidence. And then if you they meet the requirements, that does it or... Or not really like that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, there there are certain grounds. There are there. So, I mean, there's things called impediments. So, like, so if there's an impediment there, you, the marriage is declared null because of the impediment. So, and so, like, an impediment would be age, blood relationship. Or, if, if, if the husband is abusive, uh, no, no, that's not an impediment. That could be a part of defective consent down the line. So, just with impediments would be. You are related to somebody in the direct line. You're related in a close degree of affinity. You're not old enough. You weren't old enough for the marriage. Um, You're in a previous bond. You are in a marriage. And without the church declaring that null, uh, you enter into another marriage, and the first one is believed to be a valid union, so therefore that one cannot be. Um, one of the ones people don't realize that we give dispensations for it is that in canon law, a Catholic cannot marry an unbaptized person. So that is the impediment of disparity of cult, we call it. It's a common practice then that before the marriage, the priest or deacon who's preparing the couple for marriage sends in the paperwork, we review it, the tribunal grants a dispensation from that impediment so that, that the Catholic party can marry the non-baptized if— and I've had this happen twice since I've in the past two years. If a priest or deacon fails to get the dispensation, or perhaps somebody's not truthful at one time about their baptismal status, if that dispensation is not granted, the marriage is invalid. And so there's been a couple of times we've had to declare the marriage invalid due to the impediment. So there's a lot of obvious you could call them all like obvious ex- obvious examples, the way the way you just pointed out. Some more things. So yeah, if 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 a, if a husband becomes abusive and maybe that wasn't known beforehand, or if maybe the, the husband said, I'm open to children, then they get married. And then all of a sudden he says, no, I'm not open to children. Those are more, or would those be more like obvious That's things? Effective that, consent. We okay. would talk about that. So it's not so much always that something is obvious when I assign the grounds for the case. So I've read the initial, what we call the marital dynamic survey, which the petitioner is putting in and the respondent is offered to put one in as well. It's a very detailed uh, form of questions, 60-some questions that talk about, you know, your childhood, your ex-spouse's childhood, um, what was your family of origin like, uh, what were you like growing up, what was your dating life like, what was theirs like, um, what was the courtship like, what, how was the marriage, what happened on the day of the marriage, uh, different things like that. So when I look at that, I look for what might be a possible ground because we haven't had a witness testimony yet, haven't had anything like that. So it's kind of like, do I see evidence of a specific ground of nullity in here that we'll look to explore? And witness testimony can really then point to that or may point to something else. So, And we can we sometimes change the grounds. Sometimes there is a significant reason 
that new evidence has brought something else to light. And so grounds can be dropped. New ones can be added. You can have multiple grounds. It just depends on the situation. So does everyone who's Catholic and gets divorced need an annulment or just if they're seeking remarriage or or what? Right. Catholics who get divorced. Talking about that we're civilly divorced. Civilly divorced. Right. Because there's, there's no divorce in the church. Right. So. True. So. Um, so a Catholic who is married and gets divorced does not have to have a declaration of nullity. And it's a good thing to mention, too, that they're also not banned from communion or the sacraments. That is horribly this misinformation that still exists out there, that just because a Catholic has unfortunately suffered divorce does not mean they can't come to the sacraments. It's a different story if a Catholic is married, gets divorced, and then gets married a second time without having a tribunal examine the marriage, without the church being involved. If it's a marriage totally done outside the auspices of the church, then we have an issue then the Catholic party is to refrain from Holy Communion until that matter is resolved. But so no, just because you have one marriage and a divorce, no. Do we encourage a couple or a part parties to look at that? Yes, because you never know then what may be coming down the line if God has something else in store for you. So, so, so yes, I mean, a lot of times I've dealt with people who, who they seek a declaration of nullity, even though they have no plan at the moment to get remarried and some, don't get remarried and some eventually do. Let me bring up. So, you know, my Protestant friends have, they have a real beef with this topic that the Catholic church brings up. So I want you to address these. They they say, well, first of all, I got to pay for it. Uh, Secondly, I have a bunch of celibate men deciding this. And thirdly, it is just a a man-made institution. It's just these guys who are sitting there and they decide whether my marriage was valid or not. That you know, they point to the almost the the human element of these humans are deciding whether my whether my marriage was valid or not. Right. Address those points. <laughs> you, you may have to remind me of all. Of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, it is. It, it, literally, it's it's three guys around a table. That is true, but it's not like well, let's. I mean, did I wake up on the right side of the bed this morning? Am I in a good mood? <laughs> Um, It's not about that. It's about weighing the evidence. But let's get back to the reality. First is that we didn't think this up. Divorce is not allowed, and it's Jesus himself who said that. He says in the gospel. He says, no divorce. And the other instance where he talks about divorce, it's only for an unlawful marriage. And when they ask him about it, he says, you know, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed it for an unlawful marriage. But Jesus says, no, there's to be no divorce. So our notion is that a marriage that's declared null is an unlawful marriage. There's something about it that it just it did not take shape. It did not take form in the divine, in the natural sacramental sense. It's interesting. I had, I had one friend who is non-Catholic who was perhaps seeking to marry someone who is Catholic, and they were talking about marriage. Uh, he had been in a previous marriage and was divorced. He was going through the process of the, you know, the whole process yeah. to, to, to see if he can get an annulment from his previous marriage. And you said he was a non-Catholic? He was a non-Catholic. And that probably baffled him why he had to do this. It completely baffled right. him. So much, you know, the paperwork, he was a little frustrated. However, you know, while in the end, their relationship didn't work out, what I'm getting at is when, <laughs> not to, yeah, <laughs> Unfortunately, but uh, when we get when he was telling me when he was filling out the form, 
it was interesting to him because he found aspects of his previous marriage of you mentioned that he gets into his dating history of his his you know his wife at the time and he found things in there that he's like you know what i don't know if i was as mature or you know what that now that i look back and i'm answering this questionnaire there was maybe perhaps something about my marriage that maybe wasn't as true as i thought it was and I thought that was very interesting because I think most most people obviously they go they get married they're like this is the love of my life everything's great like hunky dory and then when they hit this questionnaire a non Catholic points out yeah there were some things in here that I that I didn't really realize well and our hope is that you know we want this to be a therapeutic process the ministry of the tribunal is very much a ministry of healing we're trying to accompany people who have had most likely a very painful experience. It may have been short-term, it may have been long-term, whatever it was. We want to try to help them to heal and to move on with that. And so that's part of it. You know, the question about, you know, sometimes, well, I'm not a Catholic or my, my spouse, my intended spouse was not a Catholic, is not a Catholic. We don't understand this. Well, here's the whole thing. The old Roman sense, consent makes marriage. That's two people say, I do, exchange consent, that's a valid marriage. So, two Jews, two atheists, a Muslim and an atheist, a Muslim Muslim and a baptized non-Christian, they exchange consent, the church considers that at face value to be a valid marriage. Catholics are bound by what we call canonical form. So, a Catholic, whether they're marrying another Catholic or a non-Catholic, it has to be in the presence of two witnesses and the church's minister. So a Catholic— Is that who, why you need a best man and a maid of honor? Well, by, you just need two witnesses. Okay. That's what we call them, but it's just two witnesses. That's it. So, and for a Catholic to not be married by canonical form, that, that's an invalid marriage. And we call that because of lack of form. Or if something's missing from that, we'll say defect of form. So Catholics get married outside the church all the time with permission. We, we do a prep process with the parties and the permissions are granted. And so it's recognized as a valid marriage, even though it may be the consent may be exchanged before a Lutheran minister or an Episcopalian priest, whatever it may be. But basically what we're saying is the church receives that consent and is delegating that other minister to be that agent, that witness that receives the consent. So that's the whole thing. Yes, Catholics are bound by more in the church's law than by non-Catholics, but any two parties who exchange consent, that's considered a valid marriage unless proven otherwise. And see, what you just said is very striking because I think I think what the church does with, I'll just call it annulments. I know that's not what we just established. It's the popular term. It's the yeah. popular term. I think I think if this process didn't exist and the church you just you know let it be, it totally cheapens what marriage truly is. I mean, if I'm going to get up there in a public forum and declare my commitment to my wife and say, in good times and in bad, I will be true to you. But in the back of my mind, I know, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can just get a divorce and get remarried. Everything will be great. What it's almost like? What's the point? Like, it 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 totally cheapens marriage. And I think there's, there's a lot of, there's, there, I mean, we've all been, you know, to weddings. That is a very powerful moment to see that, you know, the bride and groom looking at each other and, and to commit 
commit you know to to each other and to say those words publicly um and in front of God and you know literally in front of God and so I think what the church has with this process only it only reinforces why marriage is so powerful and why why that bond is what it is a true bond at that that nothing you know that only death can break um yeah, I, I completely agree. But when you were when you were saying something about how it's kind of this healing component, I think um, I don't think that's talked enough about. Yeah. Um, and and so what I think what people sometimes feel is that I'm I've gotten into this marriage. It's it's gone super south. I can't I can't do it for the benefit maybe of myself, maybe my children. Um, and now I've got people judging me. Now I've got a panel judging me. Is what it you know what it kind of comes across like I feel like, um, and I think that's a disservice really to what it is. And if people only understood like this is going to be good for you, right? And that's a very important point you make, and that's the reality is that people are not under judgment at the tribunal. The situation, the facts, what happened, what didn't happen, all that in relationship to the marriage, the marriage the merits or lack thereof, that is what's being judged, not the parties. That's the whole point. We don't say, you know, it's your fault. There's a ruling. It may be on the part of the petitioner. It may be on the part of the respondent. That's not a moral judgment on the person because there may be something that, you know what, five years ago, yeah, maybe there was a behavior or an intention or a reality that was just incompatible with being able to enter into marriage, being able to give a proper and valid consent. And that's not saying that five years later, that person may have changed, may have healed, may have grown, whatever it is. We're not making a judgment on the person, making a judgment on the question of the marriage. What about kids? People who have kids and then the church declares that the marriage was null. Um, Are those kids born out of wedlock? No, we don't. We do not make a declaration. So on legitimacy of children. So, so yeah. What, what would you say to you know to to someone who says, "Well, okay, I had these kids. Well, what what is that? What is their definition now? How how does the church define that? If a father is God in heaven, no matter what happened with the earthly marriage, there's no greater legitimacy than being a son or daughter of God. So, let that stand as it is. The church does not make a judgment on that. And, and Pope Francis, when he came into office, this was this was one thing he wanted to kind of speed up, wasn't there? Um, there were some, you know, I'm going to say the process was slower. Right. Let's just put it that way. And so has, has that process sped up? So if someone were to come to you and start this process, what, what is a, a timeline? Yeah, the Holy Father about four or five years ago came out with a, with instruction for tribunals called Midas Udix. So uh, the merciful judge or the just judge, my Latin's a little rusty on that. So anyway, but oh, you have uh, that priest card. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me to say what it says on the back. Um, no, Minus Udix came out, and the Holy Father wanted to basically streamline the nullity process or try to simplify it. Not a lot of it, I would argue, was simplified, but I will say in our tribunal, it, it has made things more efficient. Um, one thing that's not now is there's no mandatory appeal. So you have, we are called a tribunal of first instance. So the first like we judge something it used to be then that every affirmative decision had to go to the metropolitan court, the second instance court in the archdiocese of Chicago. And that would be reviewed. That could add three months to a process. The mandatory appeal is no longer in law. 
So an appeal only happens if one of the parties or the defender of the bond seeks it. So how many appeals do you get? <laughs> oh, at, I think in the past year, we probably had 10 or 11 appeals were sent up to Chicago. And that was mixed between whether it was a party that appealed it or the defender of the bond appealed it. Um, we're the appellate court for Chicago. So Springfield is the oldest suffragan see in Illinois. So there's the Metropolitan, there's the suffragans, the ones who are in relationship with the Metropolitan. So we're the oldest suffragan see. So we're the appellate court. So five of us are the appellate court for 1.7 million Catholics <laughs> in Chicago. Wow. So um, we send them. Hopefully you're not busy. We send them more appeals than they send us, which is interesting. Really? Yeah. That is fascinating. So, but um. So, yeah. So, I mean, I've heard the complaint about the, how long it takes. Um, for us, it's about right now. See, this is the key about time. And we tell people this. When we send you something, if you complete it, and you, if you can answer the questions as best and as thorough as you can and send it back to us, if you do this in a timely manner, it will move the process. But it's all about we ask for something. When we get it back, we review it. If it's what we need, then we move on to the next step. If it's not, number one, if we don't get it back, sometimes we have to go searching for it or asking for it. Sometimes we need more information. That's what can slow it down. I have adjudicated cases in four months. I have had some that have sat in the tribunal for two years, but it depends. It's not that we don't want to move them. So the average, about seven months. It used to be over a year. Um, it's better than government. Yeah. As you say to get, I mean, to get civilly divorced can take quite, quite a bit of time from what I know from my friends who have been divorced. It's definitely not a quick process, but so can you begin, can, do you have to be civilly divorced to begin an annulment or could you? Yes, because the marriage has to be irretrievably broken. Gotcha. And so, and, and not that couples, I, I've seen it. Couples do divorce civilly. They don't approach the tribunal for declaration of nullity and they do reconcile. So that sacramental bond, the church says, always was enduring, but they went and they got the, the civil bond reestablished. So. Gotcha. Well, we will leave it there. Dow.org slash podcast. That's where you can find a lot more. We'll see you next time here on Dive Deep.